0: Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Today's episode is brought to you by North American Rescue, products with a mission. Well, it's safe to say that times, they are a-changing, and certainly this can apply to many things in this country, but without question, our industry is facing fundamental shifts in the way we have always done things. Most recently, and to this day, we continue to learn on the fly how to function during a global pandemic. PPE, best practices, disinfection, the list goes on and on and on. It seems that we're encountering more hazards in our profession daily. One hazard that has always existed but certainly seems to be getting more pervasive is violence against EMS. The notion of scene safety is just that, a notion or a perception, and we can no longer rely on the false sense of security that EMS will be able to escape or abort a mission that escalates toward violence. It's time we start considering ballistic protection as part of our everyday equipment as EMS providers. That seems to be the question. With me today to discuss this compelling topic is David Rice. David is a program manager for public safety with North American Rescue. David, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. So Dave, before we start, can you briefly share your background in public service with the listeners?
1: Yeah, sure. So I've been with North American Rescue for uh, about two and a half years. I started off as a paramedic. I've been a medic since 90, oh gosh, 93. Uh, Maintained my license that entire time. Uh, I worked full-time on the ambulance for about five years and then went into law enforcement. Had 20 years, so full career in state law enforcement here in Missouri. I was a swap medic, a plainclothes guy, did a little bit of everything, but always kind of had my foot in uh, in EMS, always kind of maintained that uh, relationship because I've always had a passion for it. And then after my 20, I went to work for a uh, one of the higher-end body armor companies in the industry, and and that's really where uh, I you know, received my education on body armor. So I've been an end user, I've worn it my entire career, and then spent the last several years pretty deep down the rabbit hole in understanding ballistics, uh, what it all means. And, and, and at this point, your topic is is how it affects our industry.
0: Yeah. I asked you to share your background because I think it brings credibility. As providers, you being one of them, we always want to hear from providers and, and not necessarily just a salesperson who has read about you know how to do the job. So I think your background brings relevance to this topic. And this topic is important. We spoke a little bit offline and and it's certainly something that's out there now. But the question is, is it time to start moving toward adopting ballistic protection as everyday standard PPE for EMS community?
1: You know, unfortunately, I think we're there and there's some reasons behind that. Since I've been with North American Rescue, we've been having the discussion on what what constitutes good body armor for EMS? What, where do they need it? When do they need it? And of, of course, as you know, most of this started with the RTF concept with the Rescue Task Force. And the majority of the body armor that's on the market today for first responders is designed for that. It's for RTF. With the idea, and you hear this a lot, especially in the fire service, that it's a uh, it's sort of a you'll hear them say it's a check the box type of, of protection where they're probably never going to have to use it, but they'd like to have it just in case. And what we've seen over the last year and a half to two years is a fundamental change in, in what's going on in, in first responders. And, and generally, I like to break this down in, into three major points. And the first one has to do actually with law enforcement. You mentioned in your intro, we always consider scene safety. That's the first thing we're always taught is the scene safe. And we wait for our brothers and sisters in law enforcement to to help us out and, and protect the scene. And with the decline in policing over the last year and a half, that's really affected scene safety because you can, uh, we can get into stats if you want, but most major metropolitan police departments around the country are significantly understaffed at this point. I mean, some upwards of 30% and there's, there's all kinds of, Uh, Interesting stats on that as far as how far the different areas are down, uh, and and that's going to affect first responders across the board. So the first point I, I generally tell customers is the reason we need to rethink or reframe how we're looking at body armor, there's three points, decline in policing. Along with that, we're seeing a significant rise in violent crime. They generally go hand in hand. Uh, there's some pretty scary numbers, especially up in the northeast in your neck of the woods, the number of shootings, the number of homicides, sexual assaults, et cetera. Uh, it, it's pretty unprecedented. We, we just haven't seen it uh, increase at this level, uh, at least in my career. And the third component that really should make everybody take notice is the targeting of first responders. And this, this is something that is fundamentally different. It has not happened up until now. Uh, at the rate that we're seeing it is today, so when you combine those things together, the assaults on on fire and EMS is really the reason North American Rescue started looking at how do we keep our customers safe? Because if you don't, if you can't protect yourself, you're not going to be able to provide those life saving skills to to our patients, and, and that's what this is really about.
0: It's scary. Um, you know, you bring up some really uh, valid points in in the way you lay this out, and truth be told. We're dealing in such a a volatile uh, environment here now in in the United States. And certainly we've spoken about this on previous podcasts, but the way that the general public views police and law enforcement in this day and age has changed drastically. That's a separate topic in, in in how that has come about. But the tentacle effect of this is that, yes, it has now reached out into our industry, where we were always considered the good guys and girls, right? We we were off limits. Yeah. So the cops were bad and and the EMS and fire were good. It's just, that has changed. Like you said, I mean, we're seeing more and more violence every single day just because we're there.
1: It's pretty alarming. And so one of the interesting things, you know, when going down the rabbit hole of what is the rate of violence against first responders? So Unfortunately, versus law enforcement, there is no national database of how many medics are assaulted, how many fire personnel are targeted for assaults. Uh, so the information is out there, but it's anecdotal. So you kind of have to put it together um, the best the w- way that we can. But, but what we do know, and it, you know, the folks that are doing the job every day see it, is this is a new thing um, it, it's, it's changed. And as you said, it, I think it used to be, you know, just don't look like a cop <laughs> and, uh, and you were fairly safe. And now what we're seeing, and, and this is something, again, this goes back to the mindset shift that we need to recognize is the folks are being targeted they're directly being targeted, whether they're fire or medic. And, and that's why as a company, we're, we're making this push to educate, the public that we've got to change the way we do business. We've got to change the way we think about it.
0: No doubt. And to go back to one of your points, you say that there's no way to track this data with EMS. Again, a major flaw, right? A major flaw. That there's no repository for this type of information sure. for EMS. And again, you know, we can go down a road here to say, well, we're the forgotten ones, but it's it's wrong. And that's something that needs to change because this is happening. And as far as not looking like law enforcement, it's true. Uh, You know, we had spoken offline about, I uh, designed the rescue task force concept here in Hudson County, New Jersey. And when we rolled it out, we are using North American rescue vests. And the basic uh, premise by these agencies was, well, let's get red because then you don't look like law enforcement. (laughs) They they won't shoot at you. And that has always been this type of mindset that if we don't look like them, we'll be okay but we know that that's not true.
1: It's not true. And I think, you know, the industry as a, as a whole is facing, there's a little bit of a shock value too of, uh, and I think that's what we're going through as medics and, and fire personnel is like, well, wait a minute. Uh, I'm, I'm the good guy. I'm here to help. Uh, and, and I think that's part of what we're struggling with. And you know, back to my point, we're going to have to recognize that this is happening. We don't have to like it, but it's happening. And we need to provide solutions then for personnel to We've got to keep them safe while they're out there doing their job, because even despite the lack of police protection and response, no one in this country is going to accept fire and ambulances not showing up. When you call 911 and somebody is hurt, whether it's violence or not, you expect an ambulance and you want the good guys to get there. And so the option of not responding on calls, is just not there, in, in, in my opinion.
0: Okay, so let's break it down then. So we speak about this and we speak about the need for EMS to have this. Now, if we go back to the late 70s, early 80s, that's when law enforcement agencies started implementing bulletproof vest programs. And I mean, we know, I, I know, and certainly you know how difficult that was to get these folks to come around to that. I mean, it, it took almost decades for that to happen. So now, how are we going to impress, aside from the statistical data, which, which always makes things easier, but how are we going to impress upon the EMS provider who is down using their hands you know, in, in different types of positions and things like that, that they need to wear this? How are we going to say, hey, this is best practice for you? How are we going to get them?
1: Across that finish line. Well, for us, we're approaching it in two ways. Number one, and we'll talk about this, is fundamentally a different product. Where this is not, you know, we've come out with a, a new ballistic line, and this is not another police bulletproof vest that uh, you know body armor companies put out that they slap a fire sticker on it. We approached it uh, in in a different manner. We wanted a product that's built for first responders by folks that have done the job for an entire career that know what they're going to use and what they need. But the second part of that we started is education. It's uh, again, we don't like we don't have to like the information that's coming out there, but we have to recognize that this is a real problem. And this is something that has changed. That's changed so rapidly uh, that, that it's hard. I think it's hard for a lot of administrators to deal with. I mean, this has changed in the last year and a half. This business has changed. You look at COVID and the violence, now the assaults. I mean, this is a new animal in a very short period of time.
0: And I think it's overwhelming. I think you just hit on that as well, is that there's so much that has happened in the last year and a half that administration, it's very hard to keep up with everything. You know, you're trying to implement, you're still dealing with a global pandemic and you're you're also taking on water here with violence against providers. It's very difficult to implement this in unison. So I think it's going to take some time, but there's also this confusion about ballistic attire for providers it's not just a one size fits all, and when I say that, I'm not specific to the size, but for what it can stop. So, ballistics in itself does not mean that just because you wear this one vest, it's going to stop a long gun. It's it, and as the same it would a handgun. How does that break down with ballistics?
1: Yeah, that that's right. So, the first thing I like to tell folks is nothing is bulletproof. There is no such thing as bulletproof. It, basically, these are built upon levels, and primarily what we talk about first is soft versus hard body armor. So, soft armor. Consider like what a what a law enforcement officer wears every day underneath their vest, or if it's an outer carrier, it's that soft material. So soft armor is there to protect against handgun threats. It does not stop rifles. So that's what we have to start with. So you can't uh, double or triple up soft armor and say, "Well, now that's going to stop a rifle." That that's not how it works. To stop a rifle, you actually need hard armor, which is a hard plate, and there's different materials uh, when it comes to that, but. To bigger point to your question, usually what happens is we'll be approached by fire department or EMS and they'll say, hey, we've got to, you know, we've got this situation where we're in danger. We need to buy body armor. What's the highest level? We want the highest level because we want our folks to stay protected. So part of the education process is explaining to the folks in this industry, what's the difference between soft and hard armor? What, what do they stop? And then looking at the data and saying, okay, just because this is the highest level, that may not be the right solution for your department. And most often it's not. So we're very much a science-based company. We will look at the data and the statistics. Uh, If you have the best information, you can make the right decision for your department. And there is no one size fits all solution. Every department is different, rural versus city, Uh, the types of calls that you go on. So that's how we approach it is is providing the education, giving the information so the customer has all of that and they can make the best decision. So soft armor is a starting point. And and I always start with there because a lot of times people say, well, what's the highest level? It's rifle plates. Oh, okay. Well, what's the highest rifle rating, which is a level four. Well, we want that. And I generally try to talk folks out of that unless they have a specific need. When you look at the data as far as how people are being shot in this country, and we, and we do track that, the FBI, it's something called the Uniform Crime Reporting System. It's the UCR data, and anybody can look it up. It's all open source. Overwhelmingly, consistently, year after year, people are shot with handguns the most, specifically 9 millimeter handgun. So if you're playing the overwhelming odds, we need to start with providing good coverage for soft body armor for first responders. That's a starting point. After that, if you had a specific need for rifle plates, actually, when you look at the data, very few people are shot with rifles comparatively to handguns, to blunt objects, to stab or knife wounds. It's it's a very small percentage. If you had a, a specific reason tactically for rifle plates, then absolutely we can talk about that and what's best for the department. But the starting point in our opinion, because you follow the data and it proves it to be true is soft body armor for the personnel that are out there on the street.
0: And from a practicality standpoint, I would, I would believe that that would work in favor of having more individuals in the EMS industry don this type of equipment on a regular basis because it's not as cumbersome as hard armor.
1: Yes. Yes. And so, so soft armor being just that the soft, the flexible, and it's, it's, body armor that you can wear every day. You can wear it all day long underneath your uniform or on top as an overt carrier and outer carrier where the rifle plates are more designed for the tactical or the military, um, type of environment. And, and, you know, let's, let's be honest, no body armor is, is comfortable because it's something additional that you have to wear. Uh, but we approached it differently. So you mentioned, you know, rescue task force the, where you start started that in your area. Most of the body armor on the market today for for first responders, for fire and EMS was built upon the RTF concept. And because of that, because the money wasn't there to outfit every single person of the different shapes and sizes, they generally did a one size fits most approach. And the way they did that though, is they took the, they would normally take the largest person on the department, and they'd size it for the biggest person on the department to make sure it fits them and everybody else had to adjust off of that which essentially left you with a uh with a one size fits no one very well type of vest That's the truth <laughs> and and let's be honest if the body armor is not comfortable if it gets in the way of you doing your job you're not going to want to wear it right and, and and so again back to what I mentioned in the beginning we wanted to design some soft armor, body armor that could be used for rescue task force or daily wear that folks would want to wear, that is more comfortable. So we started with an 80% solution. And what I mean by that is we took your, your body types of the different shapes and sizes, and we wanted the base to start with that would fit the most people, the most comfortable. And then we can adjust from there as far as the smaller folks or the much larger people. There's ways around that. The best solution would be individually sized body armor for each person in the department. But that's cost prohibitive at this point. As you said, this is going to take time for for the industry to adopt and embrace. Um, so right now, I think the uh, a better one-size-fits-most solution is probably the way to go.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, presumably, we're, we're going to be in a situation that we find ourselves in EMS all the time, and that is... Well where are we going to get the funding for that right we're certainly not cash rich in our industry we know that so you know how are we going to be able to implement something such as this where it could be very cost prohibitive for agencies
1: sure so there are grants and funding out there available but but to your point that's why I think right now we're starting with a one size fits most, but we're doing it in a smarter way. We're doing it in, in a way in which is going to be more comfortable. So if you can have a vest that can adapt to different sizes of people on a shift, provide better coverage and be more comfortable, that's a good starting point. And, the, and there are different reasons as to why body armor, some body armor feels more comfortable uh, and adapts a little bit better than, than others. And so Comfort is a big part of it, uh, but we need something at least to start off with that can it literally can trade off from shift to shift, and within a few seconds you can adapt it from from your six foot four, two hundred twenty five pound guy to a smaller female who's has to wear that same vest, so they can trade that off and on, and yet have something that's a lot more functional than what the industry has done up to this point. Because prior to this, the body armor world has really not shown the love um to this industry that it needs and and so w- we're trying to change that
0: you can't put a dollar sign on personnel and uh, you know i think at at this point in our uh, existence um and as scary as it is we have to start thinking about the well-being of our our personnel and and again this is across the board this is covid this is everything else ppe we're paying much more attention to this type of stuff. And, and this is no different. So I I think this is a topic that's going to gain a lot more traction with each passing day. And David, I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me on. I think, I think you nailed it when you said PPE and that's, I think if I were to leave the listeners with one idea, it would be that is stop viewing body armor as this is, this is something that you wear in a shooting. This is simply PPE. I mean, you would never go to a call without gloves and a mask on at this point. And as you look at the data and the increasing violence and the environment that you have to operate in, this is simply PPE and you have to stay protected out there.
0: Without question. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. A special thanks to North American Rescue who continue to help protect our response community with some of the most innovative products available. And as a reminder, it is here, EMS Expo, next week, October 4th to the 8th in Atlanta, Georgia. There's still time. So register online for virtual or online admission. And if you're in Atlanta, please make sure to stop by our EMS World Podcast booth on the expo floor. We have some really great guests scheduled and we would love to meet you. Thanks for listening to EMS World Podcast. I'm Mike McCabe. See you in Atlanta. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.